0: friends hello welcome along to another one of our bonus episodes here on call of the wild my name is kel spellman and in this bonus episode i'm delighted to be bringing you more of my conversation with andy cato of groove armada and wild farm fame really enjoyed this conversation and discovering about andy's journey from dancing djing and producing to farming and digging do enjoy this and i shall be seeing you on the other side Having been on this journey and, and for such an amount of time now, Andy, have you got, you know, any key moments or highlights that have happened throughout the journey so far that kind of always bring a smile to your face or really stand out to you? Oh, there's definitely quite a lot of lowlights.
1: It's, <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny how they come to mind more quickly than the highlights. There was a time in France where, where I found this book by Albert Howard and he knew a bloke called Rodale, American guy, And Rodale went back to America and set up the American Composting Club. This is in the late 1930s. Nice. And then that then became the Rodale Institute, which is still going, and is the absolute cornerstone of a lot of fantastic farming research in the States. And I came across them through Albert Howard, and they were developing these techniques. It doesn't matter about the details, but the basic idea is, like in your vegetable patch, when you put straw around your tomato plants to keep the weeds down keep the moisture in, Yeah. how can you do that in a field? And what you do is you grow a particular type of plant, say rye. And when it grows really tall and it's just about to flower, if you roll it down with a particular type of roller, you can damage it in a way, which means it stays down. And then you can plant your soybeans or maize or whatever it is through that mulch, if you like. Ah. Uh, and do that on a field scale. So I I'd, I'd come across this like, right, I'm going to have, have a bit of that got myself one of these rollers and it's a whole scenario. Anyway, by this stage, the sort of rumors, I was in France and the, you know, the, the word about the mad Englishman doing all this crazy <laughs> stuff on top of the hill was spreading. And this field of rye was, you know, about five feet tall, quite close to the point where you'd harvest it. And fair enough, all the neighbors assumed that I was gonna harvest this field of rye, like normal people do. Mm. And then I arrived one day with this tractor <laughs> with the roller on the front. <laughs> And started smashing it all down. (laughs) And, uh, you know, slightly unsure of myself as well. But as I'm smashing all this stuff down, so um, the first one car stops, then two, three, four. By the time I've been going half an hour, the whole of the top of the field (laughs) is just parked cars. (laughs) And I'm just smashing all of this ride crop down. Anyway, so having done that and sort of feeling the heat of public opinion, and then I started planting my soybeans through it. I got a few things wrong. I was doing it for the first time. It was not ideal condition. It was incredibly dry and whatever. Anyway, the day came when I walked down to this field and I saw these little rows of green coming up through the roll down right. And other than probably, I should probably say this to avoid getting into trouble, but other than like marriage and the birth of my children, <laughs> I don't remember a high, quite as high as that. Wow,
0: that is amazing. And again, I guess that kind of then almost gave you that confidence moving forward then to be like, actually, you know, kind of that inner self-belief, I guess.
1: It is, he just, he, he just has a habit of just throwing you enough of those moments, just enough to keep you in the game. To
0: keep you in the game, was, yeah, just, just when they think you're out, they pull you back in as Al <laughs> and say, I just, I have to go back just for people which we be going, what was the focus on bread?
1: Yeah, well I think actually I can't claim any planning on this, I think it's actually been quite fortuitous uh, because it's such a, it's such a staple, right. it? it's like the staff of life, it's on the centre of the table, it's the most sold item in the UK or in many other countries too. So so I think that's quite handy just to, when you're trying to tell this message about why food choices matter and so on, to have something which is so universal. But actually the reason why I started down this road was purely practical. And it was that one of the problems facing, if you want to call it that, regenerative growers of all types, whether it's tomatoes, cucumbers, bread, or barley or whatever, is that the vast majority of modern crop or seed varieties have been bred to be fed with chemicals Mm -hmm. and they've lost all their competitive capabilities one of all the myriad challenges of trying to do things differently one of them is finding varieties that can hack it in a in a competitive environment and actually where i was down in france there was this culture what they call paysan boulanger which is like farmer baker and there's quite a lot of um, little farmers where you know got the People grow, like I was doing, you grow the wheat, you mill it and you bake bread. And some of those people have kept hold of their old wheat varieties from back in the day, and those ones are competitive and they grow a bit taller, so they can grow out of the way of what's underneath. Right. And so when I was looking at new ways of farming, I was like, actually, these varieties of wheat which are in the neighborhood here, these are ideal. And so that's why I started with it, but it's... Yeah, that's it.
0: Ah, nice. Something that kind of pops up in every area of conversation I have on this podcast is this disconnect we all have to the land, to wildlife, to the natural world, but yet it is innately in us and you just need to tap back into it. I have it on a smaller scale. I have an allotment, which I speak about all the time on this podcast with some friends. And same thing, I'd say to all mate, I'd say, just come down and spend an afternoon with us. And they're like, nah, no, boring. You know, they have that stigma. And the minute that they spend even an hour on there, you just see them suddenly, you know, they're, they're, their spirits are lifted and you can see that little smile on the face. And I do firmly believe that, and I'll always challenge anyone that says, no, it's not in me. I go, well, we are it and it is us, so it's in you. You just mm. haven't had a chance to open it up. And I guess you've actually got a space now where people are able to do that. And do you see then it kind of have a ripple effect afterwards where then they almost, it kind of starts them on their own journey in a way?
1: I think what happens often, and hopefully Wildfarm can help sort of, provide one of the solutions to this is that people will come and they go like, oh, Christ, you do not anything about this and this is fascinating. And then, you know, some people, like the drummer in Groove Armada, you know, he's got a massive allotment now and he's like in, you know, full, full <laughs> yeah. fully in. Um, but a lot of people can't get allotments, you know, got a little balcony with a plant pot on it whatever, and They go back home and they just feel that they've got no agency. Like now I'm back in the thick of it. Like now what do I do? You know? Yeah. And so, what our hope is through the wild farm thing is you can say, well, look, this stuff was grown in a way which is making ecosystems recover. So, if you can afford to. pay 5p more for your pizza and get this one rather than that one, you're having a direct impact on the yeah, landscape.
0: Yeah. Um, it's interesting because it's not agriculture really, it's the methods and the systems in place and the way that we do it, that is the problem. And actually we need to shift to more, like you say, this regenerative way and these these techniques that are going to improve the health of the soil, improve the health of the land and the ecosystems. But I wondered why isn't that being adopted when you've got these success stories?
1: Uh, I mean, it's a very good question, you know, because we, we think that we live in a, in a super connected world, whereas actually meaningful exchange of practical information and applying it seems to be an all-time low as far as I can see. Yeah. And, it, it's, and it's quite an odd situation. But, you know, when we, we're speaking to a lot of farmers all the time who, who are interested in coming on board. I don't think we should underestimate the things that are restraining farmers from changing. One of them is, is cultural. So in other words, this is what we've done. This is what the generation before did. This is what success looks like. And success is measured in how many tons per acre or per hectare that you produce. You know, a successful mm-hmm. field is a field in which you can see the wheat or the barley or the oats and not a single example of any other plant. That's perceived to be like clean and successful and a good farmer. So there's all these cultural barriers to change. And there's also loads of financial barriers to change because farmers like nurses or teachers or all the other important people in our society have been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed by the system Mm. to the point where they only carry on because they've got big heart. And if we're not for that, they would have stopped a long time ago. You know, And so a lot of people are incredibly indebted They've got no room to get anything wrong, yeah. And so, if you go into that situation, say, "Well, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to overturn the last hundred years worth of working practices." I'm going to ask you to spend hundred grand on a machine over there and give it a whirl. Well, what would you do? You'd say well, bollocks to that, wouldn't you? you know? So, yeah. <laughs> Sit a bit, yeah. Uh, and so, um <laughs> and so, you know, what we're trying to do with Wild Farm is like organize things so people can share machinery or help people with grants from water companies because some of them have recognized that if people farm differently they can save a fortune on their water courses because healthy soil holds on to more water than unhealthy soil and all this stuff so try and pull all this together for people together with support and advice and everything that we can and crucially a fair price yes and to, to get people to, to take that first step
0: I always kind of finish on this kind of question with a guest, and especially within this food space, which is a massive part of how we are going to solve this climate and biodiversity crisis. I just wondered, you know, what are some of the changes on that kind of real high-end, top level do we need to see? And the second part of that question as well is, is what brings you hope in what is, you know, quite a kind of this this very bleak time that an overwhelming time we find ourselves yeah, in? Yeah,
1: well, I think on a higher level, we can sit around hoping that policymakers will take what will be relatively straightforward steps to reset the framework of, of food and farming in a holistic way which brings in water courses and the NHS, all of this stuff to mean that an alternative way forward is affordable uh, and easy for farmers to adopt. But I think that the, the change is gonna start from you and I and people going into the supermarket, people going into their high street chains and demanding better and being aware of this issue and taking time to be aware of this issue and so that when they go and look at different products, they can make informed choices and try and get behind the people who are trying to make things better. And I think that's where the change is going to come from. And in terms of hope, I think hope really does spring eternal because I've seen it in France, soil which is so degraded that you can't find anything that moves in it, even if you break it down into its smallest portions, and that come back and be black and crumbly and that lovely sweet smell that you get off good soil in a matter of two or three years. You know, So I think if we change the farming in a way where we basically use technology, we use all of our ingenuity to create an environment in which nature works, and that means creating a biodiverse environment then you know the future's there for the taking.
0: The wonderful Andy Cato there from Wild Farmed. I was really excited for this conversation because I was just fascinated to know how do you go from being in Groove Armada, doing big DJ sets, making massive tunes, playing to massive crowds. So then ended up getting your hands dirty and, and delving into the world of farming. But safe to say the journey was a brilliant one and you could really see and hear his passion shine through about why he loved it so much. Such brilliant, inspiring work, Andy. And I'm very excited to visit the farm. Now, if you enjoyed that, please do make sure you follow or subscribe to Call of the Wild wherever you get your podcast from so you never miss an episode. And it also really helps us as well. So massive thank you to you guys. The wild is calling, it's time to act.